can we start this show? Welcome to Lucky Episode 13 of the podcast Sound and Strain with Ryan Cano. I am indeed your host, Ryan Cano, aka the creator of this podcast, aka the founder of the loyalty firm, where I am an artist manager and concert event producer, aka the house cat. This episode, we're talking about Super Bowl weekend, halftime performances, and catalog acquisitions in the music industry. We'll also have the strain of the week, so pack your bowl and let's get ready for the show. Hey y'all, we're back. We're doing it. You ready? Y'all miss me? I missed you and I'm ready to get back into action. Took a breather of sorts as you probably noticed or maybe didn't notice. Uh, I had some minor flare-ups that sort of happened at least once the you know, once a week the past few weeks. It was basically migraine city for the most part and my migraines start in the eye and they sort of travel to my head where it basically feels like an ice pick being jabbed into my skull. Um, and that's basically how I describe it to my doctors. I get super light sensitivity and occasionally, uh, occasionally I'll get double vision, uh, which makes me, you know, which makes almost doing anything just a fucking nightmare. So I just decided to give myself a break from commitments like this podcast and really just rest. It's hard to sit in front of a screen and edit this show when I am seeing double and my head is pounding. After years of dealing and treating my autoimmune illnesses, I've gotten a bit better about not trying to overcome the flare-ups and to take the needed rest to let them pass. As a bit of a workaholic who has like a ton of energy to produce interesting things, it's really hard to scale back that entrepreneurial monster who is just ready to roar. It's taken years uh, to get where I could just not beat myself up internally for not being as productive as I was used to being before I really had to start dealing with these illnesses in a major way. But I can do that now. I can allow myself to take a break and to prioritize what matters in life and what can be put on hold. Uh, If you are like me in that you are willing to work as hard as humanly possible to make things work for yourself, then let me tell you something. I give you permission to give yourself a break. Go easy on yourself, especially in the times that we're living in. Have you gotten jabbed yet? I have yet to get my COVID-19 vaccine, but I am definitely ready to. Uh, I know it'll probably jack me up for a few days and make me feel cruddy, but... I want some relief from this anxiety about catching it, and plus I really just think once I am vaccinated, I would feel comfortable traveling again, and hell, like, maybe even moving, which was part of the plan last year. Pretty damn wild, we are 11 months into what has felt like putting our lives on hold for this pandemic. I definitely felt completely hamstrung from chasing and climbing further up the ladder within the music industry after COVID-19 hit, and, you know... I had last year I had a killer uh, official South by Southwest showcase. I had planned to move to LA and get closer to the executive jobs at companies uh, that I want to work for. Uh, I've definitely felt like 
you know, dating almost felt impossible in the last year. And as much as I can feel kind of antisocial at times, this past year has just been too much of a dive into that existence. I just crave uh, a casual hangout like at a music club or, uh, you know, just chopping it up with my fellow, you know, weird Austinites while watching a band that makes an impression on our memories. Like feeling that energy in the room while an amp buzzes and, you know, somebody performs to their dreams. It just makes me think about things we had to delay and just also put on hold in general. Like, you know, we only have so much time in this world and how really how the government reacts to the top allows us to continue on with their lives. So you know, I'm curious, like what things did you have to delay or put on hold in your life because of this? Write me at the show at soundandstrain at gmail.com and maybe I'll read your email on the show. Speaking of writing this show, Please leave me a five-star review on the podcast platform you are listening to this on. Those great reviews help us be found by other listeners on the platform and really can help out a new podcast like this. Working on getting some new folks to interview on the show, I want to not only talk to you know familiar faces, people that I'm already friends with, uh, that are working with an industry and that I have really good rapport from, you know, kind of like with Greg Ackerman. But I want to also talk to people from like outside of my pocket, you know, people I don't really know too well personally that I think would be of interest to chat with. Looking at potential cannabis industry people to chat with, but you know, I need to make sure they're also not like some weird like crypto bro con artists of sorts, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, but you know, look out here. Soon. I'm going to have some sort of cool interviews and the episodes coming up. So of course, some of this is going to be due to the availability of the people I reach out to, but I think I'm going to have some interesting conversations here for you. All right. It's Super Bowl weekend. Are you pumped up about it? Uh, I actually think it's going to be a good game. As someone famously said, I wouldn't bet against Tom Brady, but I am definitely not rooting for him. I love watching both of the QBs in this game play. If you don't know, the teams that are playing are the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, The quarterbacks, Tom Brady for the Buccaneers, Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs. And of course, you know, Tom Brady is one of the best, if not the best to ever really ever do it. You know, part of me hates admitting that because I didn't really care for him and the Patriots for the most part. But, you know, what he is doing right now today at like, he's what, fucking 43 years old? I mean, that's outstanding. We've never seen anything like this. And I think this is like his ninth or his 10th Super Bowl that he's been to. I mean, that that alone is pretty crazy, too. Brady has publicly said he wants to play till he is 45 years old. So, wow, even two more years after this. And I hope he actually does that. But, you know, if he does win a Super Bowl this weekend, it might be very tempting to go out on top. Uh, of course, I do think he makes like $25 million next year guaranteed, so that seems like as good as any reason to uh, not retire. Uh, incredibly, Tom uh, Tampa Bay gets Brady for $25 million, uh, on his quarterback contract when those contracts right now across the league are reaching into the $40 million a year territory. So they're getting like an incredible deal on that position, uh, especially for a team that's entering the Super Bowl. Quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes scored a 10-year $450 million contract extension last offseason after they won the Super Bowl. Uh, that per year salary is the highest in the league. And listen, Mahomes is quite simply an incredible quarterback to watch play. 
His deep ball from the pocket is a thing of beauty. His ability to improvise once the pocket has broken down is beyond stellar. I mean, I've seen this guy switch to his opposite throwing hand and then throw a spiral to his tight end. Uh, he is, you know, he has basically some really smart pass catchers in Tyreek Hill and in the tight end Kelsey who, you know, they can feel where the gap in the zone is and they can get open whether, you know, Mahomes is in the pocket or not. But the big matchup area to watch for this game, y'all, is Kansas City's offensive line is just banged up with several backups having to start in the biggest game of their careers. And Tampa Bay has one of the most fierce defensive fronts in the league. That's the key matchup. If Mahomes can beat the rush, if his patched up O-line can win matchups, then the Chiefs are going to win. And if not, well, the run game will have to step up and Mahomes will have to win this on his own practically. Uh, and I expect a close game with Kansas City ultimately winning i know i just said it's you know i wouldn't bet against brady and listen i ain't betting money so don't bet any money based upon what i just said uh, but you know i do think that kansas city is just a bit faster with just a bit fresher legs they're both very experienced on the big stage so i don't really know how much of a factor that is for either team when you look at them uh, you know, they're both champions, essentially. So expect the game to potentially turn on a key play from an unexpected hero. Uh, Super Bowls tend to do that. They make a star of someone who is ready to meet the moment at the league's biggest stage. Not only is the Super Bowl the NFL's biggest stage for its athletes, it is the biggest live TV event in America. It happens to be also a huge stage for any musician who is invited to play the Super Bowl halftime. This year, the NFL has a very inspired choice, in my estimation, in booking The weekend. He's a very modern choice who I, I think can find uh, still find a larger audience, as big and as popular as he is. I think us older, washed folks who would really love the shit out of him if they don't really know him already. Many of The weekend songs sound like, you know, a current Michael Jackson of sorts. You know, some of those songs have that, you know, that classic Quincy Jones and MJ feel, you know, potentially when MJ was really at his best. And The weekend has that strong falsetto that really helps deliver on pop songs and R&B songs and where he is different uh, definitely different than MJ is the weekend's lyrics are drenched in drugs womanizing partying and lifestyle as much as they are about love sometimes it's going to be interesting to see what songs and which verses he'll perform at halftime you definitely don't want to curse because uh, the NFL has contractual language to come after you for any FCC violation. You can blame that shit on the uh, Janet Jackson and Timberlake incident from Super Bowl halftimes many years ago. And we have seen, you know, the NFL flex on this new aspect of that, you know, contractual language when artist uh, Mia or MIA uh, famously flipped off the camera, you know, during Madonna's halftime show in 2012. Uh, and that's a whole other subject. But uh, what makes this super interesting this year is that the weekend has announced his halftime show is going to be fully live in the football stadium. And I had to check on this, but, you know, much like Texas, Florida 
kind of doesn't give a fuck about COVID-19. So yeah, the Super Bowl is being played in Tampa Bay and those loose ass rules around COVID-19, they're allowing 25,000 fans in the stadium that would, you know, basically otherwise hold 65,000 or so. With some pretty risque songs, The weekend is performing Watch Out for an Accidental Curse Word Flying Out. Uh, you know the pearl clutchers at the NFL and the FCC definitely will be. It also came out that The weekend's halftime performance is going to be a very cinematic one for us people at home, and that the artist dropped an extra $7 million on production. And that's crazy. I hope all of that gets reimbursed. But, you know, typically how it works at the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl doesn't pay artists. They will pay for your production and your travel costs. So if the weekend dropped an extra seven mil, that's fucking wild. That means, you know, they didn't approve the expenditure and he said, fuck it, we're, we're spending the money. Uh, I really hope it's worthwhile and we can see it on our end uh, from the TV screen and we can all see that money spent at home. It's also kind of crazy that the artists are not paid for the Super Bowl appearances, huh? I mean, artists listening to this podcast right now, I mean, it has to be sobering to realize that you will literally have to deal with this kind of shit at every stage of your career, even if you're as big as The weekend. But you end up saying yes to that gig. Why? Record sales, concert ticket sales, and furthering the audience reach beyond what you already have. For instance, last year, Spotify said Jennifer Lopez's stream soared 335% afterwards. And when you're already popular as fuck and can expect to soar 300% listenership above normal, well, that's a great way to enter the mainstream with global ears and global eyes ready to watch you on TV's biggest stage in American sport. I am really looking forward to watching the weekend's performance. I still think the best halftime show I've ever seen during a Super Bowl was Prince. I mean, holy shit, did he just slay the fucking shit out of that stage. It rained during his set, and he played guitar, and he just sang so smooth that it was really transcendent. And this is coming from someone who is not like a Prince mega fan like so many of my friends are. You know, that Super Bowl performance showcases what a truly generational talent Prince was, and across musical instruments and genres, you know, it just showcases that he you can expand your audience's reach just with a wonderful performance like that he pulled off uh that that to me is the epitome of halftime shows i mean purple rain in the freaking rain most artists would rightfully like they'd be freaked out that rain was even happening during the show but it almost looked like a special effect for prince i mean his his show too was like it was an interesting choice there was like five songs four of those songs were covers uh, he played one of his songs, you know, he played Purple Rain, but there was a Beatles song, there was a Foo Fighters song, there was CCR, Bob Dylan, uh, basically big anthems that allowed him to play big ass Prince guitar solos and that allowed the stadium to sing along with him. Just, just super fucking smart. Just a great selection of songs and just, it was just crazy good and slightly unexpected halftime show from him in that, you know, Prince was not promoting a new album or even really promoting himself. He was there on Legacy and he played a set that honored his influences. They honored engaging the audience to be part of what is largely a TV performance happening in a stadium. And he honored all of us with his taste in music and taste in how to pull off a show like that. Just epic, epic stuff. And I recommend every musician out there go find it on YouTube. It is worthwhile. Now, I personally love 
you know, when he's playing Purple Rain, just how smooth he looks sliding up and down that guitar. He's just, just insanely smooth. And like his dancers are like dancing in like, like stiletto heels and it's like fucking raining, like, and no one falls down. It, it is just, it's just insane. It, it's so cool. All right, y'all light up a big ass bowl. Yeah. Then exhale. We're going into strain talk and the strain of the week is, and you know what, drummer? I, I'm not going to ask you for a drum roll. And, uh, <laughs> for real? All right. Yeah, really? Okay. Uh, the strain of the week this week is strawberry lemonade. The sativa dominant strain is supposed is the supposed cross of strawberry cough and lemon OG. Strawberry lemonade stays true to form. It, it exhibiting you know tangy aromas and flavors and is coupled with a you know a heady onset and complimentary body effects you know you can enjoy strawberry lemonade throughout the day but don't plan too far ahead as this strain can be whimsical and intensely relaxing the buds are big fluffy and heavily pollinated with crystals the buds are very densely structured they have small leaves that are tightly coiled inward the leaves themselves are a light shade of sage green and are wound through with orange and brown pistils. A blanket of cloudy white trichomes makes these flowers appear almost white when seen from a distance. Strawberry Lemonade's wide appeal has even earned it the title of Best Sativa Flower in the 2016 High Times Cannabis Cup. The strain's THC content has been measured at between 16 and 28%. The smoke is smooth, y'all. And when you exhale, it just gives you a major taste of berries. If you're looking to treat anxiety or stress, uh, which, I mean, in this times, of course, there's anxiety and stress. But if you're looking to treat that, uh, and if you're just straight up looking to get relaxed, then Strawberry Lemonade is the strain for you. Check out the nearest dispensary to pick up this strain today. Get this strain for the Super Bowl. Get yourself ready for the big game, y'all. All right, lighters up, bowls packed. Light them up. Let's take a music break. Okay, entonces si este si nos llaman al 52 
You just heard the band Seda Lights from none other than Austin, Texas. The track you just heard was Time Traveler from last year's sophomore LP, Little Star. I've known the guys in Seda Lights for quite a while. I've seen them go from like an eight-piece band to what is now a very formidable three-piece. Over the years, I have booked them across several Austin venues and at the Pecan Street Festival when I was working there as the music director and talent buyer. I've always enjoyed their music, their risk-taking with their songwriting. There is a vision, but also a looseness to what they are doing. The singer and frontman of Save the Lights is, is uh, Alexander Scott, and I have definitely connected with him, I think, as a friend. We have a lot in common in that we're both multiracial Mexican musician dudes and working within the music industry that is not typically Spanish scenes. We're both kind of in that post-rock, psych-rock, experimental scenes with a lot of regularity. Uh, I would constantly run into him at good shows around Austin. I definitely remember running into him outside of uh, Paramount Theater after the explosions in the Sky show. And he also tended to hang around with Terry Lycona, who's the exec producer of Austin City Limits uh, on PBS. Uh, Yeah, that dude. I'd run into them out and about and it would usually end up in some sort of hangout for at least a little bit. So yeah, very cool dude cool band with very cool people who sort of confirm how talented they are uh if i am not mistaken i think terry lycona even produced seda lights debut lp so anyhow go check out seda lights on Bandcamp. it is s-a-t-a-l-i-g-h-t-s and it will also be in the notes for this show You can buy their music on Bandcamp or you can stream their music. I'm going to play another song of theirs in the episode later on. I wanted to talk about some headlines and some thoughts about why you're seeing this trend within the music industry. It was brought up a little bit in episode 11 during the interview with Greg Ackerman, but I wanted to dive further into this. So let's talk about music catalog acquisitions. Musicians are selling their catalogs and let's look at who's done this and some of the reasonings why. The names are big. And so is the money. Bob Dylan shook the scene last year when he sold his entire 600 song catalog to Universal Music Publishing Group for close to $400 million reportedly. This is the biggest acquisition for a single songwriter and probably only the Beatles could rival that in value. Neil Young also sold half his rights for his catalog to Hypnosis Song Fund, the UK publishing house announced you know that they got that catalog including Heart of Gold, Rockin' in the Free World, and Cinnamon Girl. So, it, that deal is estimated to carry a 150 million dollar price tag. And Hypnosis is a major player right now in acquiring music catalogs from artists. Uh, they're even publicly traded on the stock market. I even read an article recently about how they're issuing more shares to sell so they can raise around $1.2 billion strictly to buy more music rights from artists. Stevie Nicks, the Fleetwood Mac singer and solo artist, sold 80% stake in her catalog for $100 million to music publisher Primary Wave. Shakira, the superstar singer-songwriter, sold her publishing catalog recently as well. She sold 100% of her music publishing rights, including... You know, the publishing and writer share of income to Hypnosis Song Fund. Shakira has over 145 songs in her publishing and songwriter repertoire. Calvin Harris, uh, the DJ, he sold his publishing catalog to Vine Investments for around $100 million. His catalog has more than 150 songs and collaborations with, you know, the likes of Rihanna, Sam Smith, Frank Ocean, Travis Scott, Ariana Grande, etc., etc. Cobalt Capital sold... 33,000 songs to 
none other than Hypnosis Song Fund for $322.9 million. Holy shit. Even producers are getting in on the action. Bob Rock sold his producer rights in heavy metal band Metallica's, you know, debut album and songs by Canadian singer Michael Bublé that include Call Me Irresponsible, Crazy Love, and Christmas. And that deal was for an undisclosed amount, but it gives investment firm, you know, hypnosis rights to his 43 songs. Jimmy Iovine sold his producer, you know, points as well to hypnosis. And now most of these deals, like with Bob Dylan and Shakira, like they don't include future songs they are to write and produce. So it's really just a catalog of what they have produced so far. And so there's still another catalog those artists get to build, but wow. What's going on, y'all? So many acquisitions. Uh, a few things, first of all. You gotta think about music and listening habits as it relates to sales. It's really not tied to anything in the economy. If the economy is good and you want to party, things are great, and you have disposable, you know, disposable income, you are streaming and buying music. If things are bad and you are shut inside during a pandemic and not feeling good, uh, you are still listening to music. You're listening to music whether you're happy or sad, whether you're rich or poor. And recorded music is kind of recession-proof in that way, much like, you know, booze is purported to be. Also, as much as streaming has garnered attention for bringing new value within the industry, it also has given very strong data about a song and allows for a sort of financial projection that you can build models on. Additionally, many royalties are dictated by the government, like money to PROs, for instance, but that rate being static, you know, allows again for further financial projections. Since music is being consumed and economies good or bad, this showcases steady cash flow. And that's what these funds are buying into uh, these music catalogs. They're buying consistent cash flow and rights that they feel they can further exploit to greater heights. So this is the part of the reason businesses are clamoring for music rights right now. So why are artists doing it? According to a recent hypnosis investor report, the company is paying artists and songwriters an average multiple of 14.7x historic annual income, basically 14.76 years worth of predicted royalty profits for their catalogs. Big cash upfront can solve many things. You are trading consistent income for a one-time liquidity event though. I do need to say I am not a wealth investment advisor, so please don't look at the things I say in that regard. Anyhow, uh, an artist may sell their catalog for several reasons, and they can sell all of it or just part of it. And one of that reason, one of those reasons is kind of macabre, but it's because they feel the liquidity is better than, you know, it's better for their estate planning than turning over the copyright to a family member who may be ill-equipped to exploit an artist's life work. And, you know, this will avoid any messy lawsuits and infighting that can be so common when an artist passes away. Uh, so estate planning is a huge part of it. Another part is to pay for something to get out of trouble. It is rumored Shakira sold her catalog to help pay for her back taxes in Spain where she is charged to the tune um, of $16 million that she has to pay. It is not typically advised you sell your catalog to pay for something uh, like that, but emergency events like this can spring you into creative solutions and it may be the only asset you have to get value from. Another reason is 
to invest your money to diversify it. You, if only you know, if your only major investment is your music catalog, if the only major value you have as an investment tool is your music and nothing else, you may want to use that money to sort of kickstart. Uh, an investment across you know a diversified spectrum and you know that way you're not so dependent on one event uh, for your wealth uh, in this scenario you would be working intimately with a financial advisor who would help guide the artist on what to do with the cash and you know living on what you were able to sell that catalog for of course artists need to remember when they're selling their music catalog that it is a one-time liquidity event you're just going to get paid that one time. That means, you know, A, no more assets. B, no more royalty payments in the mailbox. Of course, investors are flocking to catalogs because of this low interest rate and low inflation environment. And that's really not something I considered before I did some research in building this episode. The low rates for money is part of the reason for music catalog acquisitions. And this bit of information comes from an Insights article uh, from Billboard magazine uh, who talks to a former music manager that is a current wealth manager. And that, that guy basically equated music catalog sales to a bond. He says, right now, you know, interest rates are low. The short-term, mid-term, and long-term, you know, applicable federal rate, the AFR, they're within a half percent of each other. And basically what that means is that the cost to borrow money for 30 years is about the same as it is the cost to borrow it for 10 years. So interest rates are low, inflation is low, and bond prices are high. And if you think of uh, the music catalog as a bond, that means music catalogs are going high. And because of that, investors, you know, they're buying music catalogs for cash flow, essentially. So, you know, Think of that music catalog as a bond. So with, let's just say an investor pays $3.21 million in exchange for an artist catalog that earns a quarter million dollars per year in income. They're basically buying a bond with a 7.7% coupon. And, you know, that's basically 5% higher than the long-term AFR. So if interest rates go up, the artist catalog becomes less appealing to the investor. So this is strictly about cash flow and asset diversification for the catalog buyer. And that's the asset. Whether it's a usual suspect like Universal Music Publishing Group, a new player full of music vets like Hypnosis, or a new entrant like Vine Investment, artist catalog rights are going to remain a hot asset going forward. Now, if you are an artist listening to this podcast, I hope there was something you picked up in there in telling about this industry trend. The reason you hold on to your rights as a songwriter and as a publisher of your own music is so that it can build up to the value where you can sell them at a much greater value than you are going to get on your first record deal. You know, Bob Dylan got $400 million payday at 79 years old, and he earned money and sold records and off that music all those years before, and he still gets to have a $400 million balloon at the end uh, of his at the end of his career. And I bet he writes you know another 100 songs before he leaves us and what's that going to be worth an extra 100 million dollars for the family artists you know please try to retain your rights for as long as you can and if you need to sell them or a part of the rights please make sure that the one-time liquidity event gives you as much cash as you can squeeze from the new owners of your creations that's some free advice for you that's some free game so keep paying attention to this space and see who else decides to sell all or part of their catalogs. 
Dolly Parton has gone on the record saying they were considering it and likely would only sell a part of her rights, but they were considering it. David Crosby has said he is likely selling his because, you know, his albums don't really sell anymore and he can't rely on album sales income anymore. So this will remain an interesting space for the foreseeable future. All right, that feels like a good natural stopping point here. So let's pick up next week or, you know me, in a few weeks and continue to have fun on Sound and Strain with Ryan Cano. Taking us out of the show this week will be another track from Seda Lights called Rolita Bonita off the album Little Star, which you can pick up on Bandcamp right now. You can also stream it on your favorite streaming platform. Remember to take care of yourself. Go easy on yourself, y'all. We're just trying to survive through this pandemic. I'll see you next time on Sound and Strain with Ryan Cano. Había una vez un hombre en la sierra.
Hey, baby. Hey. What do you say? Bob? What the fuck? What the fuck, Bob?